0: Hello and welcome to this week's Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host today is myself, Carol Tallon. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, we're recording remotely, so apologies for any poor sound quality. Um, coming up on the show today, we'll be talking about property development, Ireland's new homes market, the art of property staging and why it's important, and we will look at Ireland's data centre sector. So first up, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Ronan McKenna, Sales Director of Glen Bay Properties. So Ronan, thank you so much for being with me today.
1: Oh, not at all. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Well I appreciate that today is a particularly busy day because obviously the show airs on a Tuesday but we're recording this on Monday the 18th which is really D-Day for uh, construction companies in Ireland. You know we're back on sites for anybody uh, for any of the non-essential uh, construction sites. So first of all talk to me about how Bay has responded to the COVID-19 challenges over the past two months.
1: Yeah I, I suppose today, today is a is a great day for us in that we get back to doing what we want to do, but it's also a very cautious day um, um, because we're, for the first time we're coming back uh, and bringing all our staff back and we want to keep the safety and well-being of our staff uh, and the communities that we're working in um, as paramount. So we've, we've actually spent the the entire two months planning for this reopening and it's not it's not a rush back um we're we're being very cautious about it um and we've put in place all the different measures that actually people have seen on on rt news today um we've hand washing facilities um social distancing uh, covid officers um and and a, and a whole array of 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 working uh, the, the the challenges of working um you know in 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 the covid pandemic um are are quite great. And look, it's gonna take time and people to get used to it. But we, we've we, we feel we've we've had a good start today. Uh, and I've been around a few of the sites um as of other members of the senior management team uh, just to make sure that things are bedding in well. And as I say we're 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 starting off. Typically we've had maybe 30 men coming to site today. And um you know we we'll increase that over the next few days. Um, on staggered times and and all of that that comes with it, so it's it's um, it's extra cost, um, but it's 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 essential to keep yeah. going.
0: Absolutely, and look, I think it's really interesting that we're recording this at a time when you have had the experience in the morning time of the sites opening up, because an awful lot of what uh, the planning has been done. Um, you know, obviously the construction industry federation and other construction bodies have been fantastic in helping the industry to interpret the hsc guidelines and to help them set protocols to return safely to site and you know including the online induction training but yeah. that's that's very much theoretical on the non essential sites until today so on a practical level you know have you brought back uh, 100% of your staff
1: no no we we'll, we we'll, we'll be we'll be phasing them back and um we've quite a large office of staff in Maynooth and it remains closed, and and those people remain working from home, um, except those who do who can do on site support, um, for the teams. So essential services from the office, um, we have some of them located in extra uh, office cabins on site uh, to support that. But it's it's the the work that was done by the construction industry federation the. The PPI and others, uh, we were involved in that process. They did involve and um, the, the builders and developers themselves in it, um, to to try and make it as practical as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, we we've also we had one site which was deemed essential because of the number of Part Five units that we we had to deliver on it. Um, so we had one site back a fortnight ago, um, and okay. to try and to try and work through. Uh, the live examples of what might be challenges for us, um, and so so we had a good insight into that, um, so that today wasn't as um, it wasn't as daunting as it as it might have been for some builders because we had that um, little bit of foresight, a little you know look into it. Um, yeah. And, that's
0: um, a, that's an important one, actually. So ju- I suppose learning from the experience over the past two weeks, you know, are, are are there particular insights that jump out at you, maybe that you know you weren't expecting? Um,
1: well, I, I think in terms of 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 how to get how to get people in on site, so you have to typically what what we always did was we had a turnstile system and uh, a biometric sign in and sign out, so you used your thumbprint or a fingerprint, and mm-hmm. you typed in a code and you walked through a turnstile. They all became touch points, um, which we had to completely eliminate. Um, so our our, our our way of knowing who's on site and when they're on site had to totally change. Um, so instead of having people touching things coming in on site, we had to have them washing their hands coming into site and a new protocol around that. We have a guy, uh, a, a gate man, at point there who signs every person in verbally mm-hmm. um and and updates the the computer system from that so so the hand washing facilities then they had to not have touch, touch points on them as well so it's 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 a it's a great system that the guys designed themselves whereby the the tap is is used with your knee and you turn on the tap with your knee and your hand washing facilities are there and then you move into site um and these are dotted around the site as well. So that there's hand washing all throughout the day. And um, again, social distancing, we were able to to work out like there, there are some tasks that you do automatically that suddenly you realize, um, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder with another man or woman doing them.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so we had to we had to see how we could do that differently by maybe using the teleporter for, for a particular job. Or for, for holding up something or you know, all all little things like that. The other things we had were like the number of people in a house at a time, the different trades. So so now we have it. We don't we don't ever have one person in a house on their own in case something happens. Um but now we limited it to one person upstairs, one person downstairs, rather than having a number of people in the house all working in different rooms. Um, yeah.
0: It, it, again, it's the implementation. All of the measures make sense. It's the implementation is going to show up where the real challenges are going to be. And obviously, there's a huge weight of responsibility for the members of the industry that are back working today because we just need to get this right. You know, the, the, the next few months to, uh, and I suppose delivering the pipeline of work for the next few months depends on how well we get back to site in the next week and two weeks. Um and actually in terms of the pipeline, you know, how many homes have Glen Bay under construction right now?
1: Well at the at the time of the closed down we had about we had twelve hundred houses under construction. Um wow. so so we have that and that's that's spread over nineteen sites. Um and we're we're working our way through those, and and a lot of those sites. Most of those sites have reopened. Some of them won't reopen until a little bit later, um, because they were they were very new. They were they were just opened up, and we want to get back and work through the stock that we have, and then we'll 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 see what what demands are there, because we we now have to balance this with with the demand for housing, which we think will be good, um, and certainly over the lockdown period, we've had a lot of interest. In our virtual viewings, um, we've we've actually had quite a number of house sales. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. We've
0: and are these are these sales of built or homes off plan?
1: Well, they're they're homes off plan that have that have show houses. Yeah, they're not. We don't have very much standing stock. Mm. Um, we we just don't because we 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 sell ahead all the time, and um, because we have. Aggressive targets within the PLC system. Your your targets are always very aggressive, so we 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 tend to have them sold by the time they're built, or we we certainly try to have, you know. So yeah. Um, so
0: it's interesting. It's interesting to hear that um, a, a strong sales route there because you know we look a lot at the technology around prop tech and construction mm. technology, and we know that every part of the property transaction can be done online, including finding your property and viewing it and what we what we really probably suspected but I've really learned over this period is that the culture you know the mindset hasn't changed to allow people to buy a second hand property um virtually unless they're investors but certainly for home buyers no and yet they do it for off plan properties and for newly built homes so you know it, it's interesting to hear how this pandemic you know, will it change that for second-hand properties or will it just be for newly built homes that we will actually be able to sell off-plan? But in terms of the strong demand, are you are you facing a situation where maybe you had properties sale agreed or deposits taken from people and their work and financial situation has changed in terms of accessing mortgages?
1: Yes, the, there are sadly some some people who had intended to purchase a home who can't do that now. Um, but it's it's not the majority. It's it's the it's a minority of people, um, and that must be very difficult for them because it's it's a very exciting time, you know, to be to be changing or, or to to buying a new home, and um, so that's that's very difficult for them. Um, but but we would we would have I think we, we, as we run our numbers, we're just close to ninety percent of our buyers are continuing to uh, with the, with the sales process, we had contracts signing, um, all during the, the lockdown period. Um, so, you know, we have been able to continue with it and the housing market, you see, before COVID-19 arrived on our doorstep, Ireland had a housing crisis. That didn't go away. It, it didn't, it didn't disappear because of this. Obviously we all have to deal with COVID-19 as the, as the priority. But the underlying demand for housing, it, it was never supplied. So, and people talked about 2008 and how it was going to affect. But the truth of it is, we were building 90,000 houses in, in 2008. And there was a huge supply of houses left and the demand shrank. There, there is no, as I said to you earlier, we, we don't have standing stock. We don't have stock lying around. And we're not the only ones you look at any of the builders and I go around all the building sites they they don't have stock built because everything that they were building was being bought and and um taken taken out of the the list of available if you like so therefore mm-hmm. the, the supply just hasn't been there and and that's why I think that um and I know you know some people are are very doomsday about you know house valuation and all that kind of thing. There just simply isn't a lot of, of housing stock there for it to fall in value. Um, I think there are huge challenges. And and before I, I worked um, with Glen Bay, I was a, an estate agent. I think there's going to be a huge challenge with secondhand property. Um, and a lot of my focus with, with, with the purchasers that I have going through the system at the moment are the ones who have houses to sell. I, I do have a concern there because... I don't know how you ask an estate agent and a couple or a person to enter into a home where people are living and do that safely. I I, I haven't yeah. got my head around how that would work. Um, I I can see it in a show house. There's no problem. We can sanitize it. We can have it as a safe place. We can we can do a lot of things remotely. Um, we 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 have it now that the estate agent doesn't even need to open the door for you. They can do it with their phone. Um, so we're automating yeah. the locks on the on the on the doors. So uh, that's not a problem for us. As people who are selling vacant property, either you know probate property or, or vacant property for whatever reason, that can still go ahead because that unit can be sanitized, and um, you know the people can go in and out of it safely. But for secondhand homes, I think it's a huge challenge, both for the yeah. occupants I and look- the people who want to buy it.
0: Yeah, look, I, I think you're absolutely right, and we know, uh, we know from speaking to estate agents right across the country that there's a challenge now in terms of the secondhand properties uh, and the secondhand market. And it's interesting to hear you being so upbeat about the demand because, you know, I I agree that the people who want homes will still want homes, but where I would have where I would have my concerns is that where the financial circumstances have changed, we know that the central bank. Has, has encouraged more stringent view as to not just um, in terms of the macro prudential rules, but we know that the main lenders now have actually stopped granting exemptions to those. So those restrictions, which were already quite tight, are are just going to remain or get tighter. Um, And I just wonder how that's going to impact people who have been furloughed from work or have had a lapse in terms of income. You know, how is that going to affect them in terms of their targets for their their budget? You know, and I, I... I, I obviously it's too early to tell. We don't know, but I would definitely have concerns. And I just wonder, um, in terms of the forecast for Glen Bay, you know, where were you in terms of your targets for what were your targets for output for 2020? Um, you know, where do you see yourself now? Are they going to have to be adjusted? So
1: well, because we're a PLC, um, our, our targets are very public for people and um uh, they they call it guidance to the market um and we've removed all guidance to the market um at this time because we we just don't know um you know we just don't know where where those numbers will be or or what it'll be and until we get some sort of view uh in terms of getting back and, and getting back selling. like obviously we can't we we can't do any viewings or anything until after the 8th of June. So there's still a time to wait to, to test the market. We're still talking to people. We're getting an awful lot of um, inquiries, as I've said, uh, and we're talking to our existing buyer pool. Um, but until such time as we can actually get people into looking at houses, we, we're really not going to have a view of where we are going to be at the end of the year. Um, but as, as I say, it's, it is... From the people we're engaged with, some people are affected very badly by um, COVID nineteen. Those in the hospitality industry and 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 other you know retail and and service industry, um, but there, there are also a large cohort of people who have been either somewhat affected uh, or not affected at all, um, and they will want to purchase houses too. So even though demand will maybe reduce there there, there will still be a housing demand in our opinion anyway
0: well of course because output is going to yeah. reduce as well you know it, it's it's an interesting and again it really is too early to call what the likely impacts on uh, output for 2020 for the entire industry is at this stage but i think the next couple of weeks will tell a lot so ronan thank you so much for joining us today we'll leave it there for now um, our thanks again to Ronan McKenna, Sales Director at Glen Bay Properties PLC. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned.
3: 93.9 Dublin South FM.
0: And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or by email at hello at iPropertyradio.com. I'm delighted to be joined now by Natasha Rocket divine Interior Designer and Staging to Sell Specialist at the Interiors Nerd Studio. So, Natasha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. I very much enjoy your show and happy to be here. Well, I'm a fan of your work and I've been following very much um, because you're great at social media and showcasing the work that you do. Um, And actually, there's a a couple of points uh, in terms of your social media and things like that that I'm really hoping that estate agents will sit up and take notice of, as well as, you know, people who are looking to sell. But look, let's start with, you know, 2020 interior design trends you know at the start of the year we always make predictions and then you know in ter- in light of the pandemic and post pandemic restrictions that are likely to continue are you seeing that these are likely to
2: change Absolutely, um, I think mostly I've you know written a few piece um, pieces for the newspaper in recent weeks, and I think using the space as a multi purpose um space and zoning in our homes is going to become very prevalent, you know, like things like screens or multi purpose rooms, so your office is now going to be your gym, you know, or your children's yeah. room might be their playroom so be, um, adapting those um those rooms into, you know, multi-purpose spaces, especially people who are in shared rentals or have children or in properties, you know, where each room has to be used for different family members for different purposes. And then obviously, you know, from an aesthetic point of view, you have to um, create a space that isn't too bright. So if you're going to work there um for, as an office or vice versa. So it's really important to kind of incorporate that in. And it's also made us, um challenged us, you know, it's made us think outside the box for our homes, you know, in ways that we never did before. Um, looking at it um, much differently, but also in a very practical way too.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny and this is something that we've covered actually a couple of times on the show. um, Because we're recording remotely, Um, You know, my daughter's 21. I I don't have the same issues, but there's been a lot of toddlers in the background and young children in the background as we're recording. And, you know, one thing about the trends in recent uh, decades have been more towards open plan. And I think this is probably the first time in modern history that, um, you know, open plan is being tested to the point of all family members trying to live Within a contained environment, um, while everybody's pursuing their own thing, so whether you have one or two parties working, and uh, you've got children pursuing hobbies, and you know trying to homeschool in the background, I think that th- we really need to reimagine our space. Um, and in fact, yesterday when I went out, um, when I went out for a walk, I, I noticed that in our particular area there were four home improvement
2: vans. Um, absolutely. Adjusting. Adjusting. Yes, it. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Because it's challenges you know, and it makes you think, you know in terms of obviously when you're facing a room every day, you also notice the flaws and you're, you know, you're quick to get the painters in, you know, on an aesthetic point of view, but on a practical point of view, space is key. You know, I've, I've lived yeah. in London, Los Angeles, um, Milan and uh, cities. And I've always had, you know, for budget reasons, us- usually lived in very small apartments or shared flats. So I've always had to challenge my space. You know, I've always had to do that. And part of my job in staging is to maximize the space. So I think for me, I've always tried to, you know, have, have multi-purposes in each space you know it's a natural skill probably of me via my work but I think it's forcing as you said all of us to look at it you know we gorgeous homes but are we maximizing these homes you know are we using the rooms because everyone has a dining room that they don't use you know with the lovely table and everything but now you know that's going to be an absolute luxury room you know in moments like this so it's just really making sure that we use our space and also there's um, everything that's there is valid you know are these pieces of furniture relevant do we need all this clutter you know it kind of forces everyone to clear out as well as much to add in as to also clear out so i think it's a really exciting time in that sense you know obviously it's been a, it's it is a very challenging time for everyone and particularly people at the front line and who are sick but you know in terms of interiors and um, on that level alone i think it's a time where we can look at things in a different way and be really practical and kind of challenge ourselves and hopefully move forward uh, with something positive um from this being at home every day
0: yeah, absolutely. Um it's it's definitely given rise for a reevaluation of priorities um for a lot of people. But absolutely. in terms in terms of smaller space is that a trend? Is that a trajectory we were on? Um anyway, because you know, we see this rise in the tiny home movement, we see a move towards um uh, greater density, more urbanization um that generally means a move from maybe three-bed semis to perhaps two-bed apartments. So, you know, with smaller space, there's it inevitably requires, it demands much better design because it's the only way that we can fit our lives into that. So is is that a trend that we were starting to see anyway?
2: I I absolutely believe that. Um, As I said, I've lived and worked in different cities. So I've always focused on location, you know, for practical reasons. And then that would mean um, compromising on size and I see that you know in places like Paris it's been notorious and London that people would prefer to live central so they're near you know the facilities of transport and closer to the city you know so they'll compromise on that family home in the suburbs I think it's a natural innate thing in Irish people to want property I think it's in our blood it's in our DNA everyone wants to own the property and myself included I think it's something that we all love so I think naturally we all go to the suburbs you know for price and valid reasons but people now I think are seeing okay is it worth it to travel two hours a day you know to come in and obviously for some it is and you know there's it's whatever it's a very specific thing but I definitely see a rise in central city living you know living in smaller muses you see all of these beautiful homes um little cottages being renovated you know into these stunning homes and it just means there's a lot of um evaluation there's a lot of critique at the beginning there's a lot of planning what is the space for you know what's the compromise because you can't have it all in a smaller space so it's It's really challenging at the beginning, but it's also, um, you know, the benefit is that you know you may be closer to work, so you know it's it's kind of an offset. But I definitely think that will continue to rise um, in you know in Dublin City over the next few years.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think, it, you know, that that's really a global trend that maybe Ireland is a little bit late to the party, up, but but certainly it's coming. Um, at the top of the show, Natasha, you know, I, I introduced you as an interior designer, but you're also a staging to sell specialist. Now, this is, you know, we've had staging um, in terms of property in Ireland over the past, you know, maybe decade and a half in Ireland, but it was never a prevalent feature of the market, um, whereas it might have been in other jurisdictions and in other places that you've lived You know, so coming back to Ireland and launching uh, a staging to sell business, did you find, was the Irish marketplace ready for that?
2: Well, um, I was very lucky that I had um, a launch event and Owen Wiley gave me my first job. So, um, you know, he obviously... Um, you know enjoyed the party and we, we spoke at that time so you know I think sometimes it's just someone seeing something in you and giving you that chance and you know Owen is a perfect example of um an agent that sees the massive importance of staging and he continues to with uh, myself and other designers he works with so I think it's just about um probably right now or back then a few years ago it was about the agents and the developers who naturally would know you know immediately by, um, based on the sales price and the pace of sale the importance of it However, you know, I did RTE, Find Me a Home. My project was on that, actually with Owen. And I think, you know via TV, via social media, via um, press, people are starting to see the importance of home styling, you know, you know, all these trends on Instagram and all over the internet. So I think now it's become more of a public common knowledge to, you know, to make sure that when you're selling or renting your place, that the photographs are adept, you know, to what, you know, the the price you're charging and, you know, also to get the rent, sale or rental faster, you know, the quality of those photos or the aesthetics is going to, you know, encourage that, you know, people will come and see it more. So I think it's definitely becoming some, that people are more um, open to. And even if it's just by themselves, they are going to invest in a paint job before, you know, they um, before they put it up for rental or for sale. Whereas some people wouldn't have seen the importance of that, given they wanted to leave that property or rent it out. So I think it is it's becoming more and more common practice. And I think social media has, you know, huge part to play because people see global trends you know via instagram in particular and twitter that you know they want to have that standard and we should have that standard you know our properties are beautiful and the skills and workforce is incredible in the property industries and the construction itself so you know it's really important but you know and then similarly, I've worked with Hollybrook Homes and my Frank. I've designed a lot of show um, homes and apartments with them. And, you know, they would naturally, you know, hire a designer because they know the importance to get people through the door. Whereas the public, I think, are catching on, you know, naturally uh, and more and more as um, the years and months progress.
0: Yeah. And it, look, it's a, it's a really important trend. It doesn't surprise me at all to hear that one of your early clients was. Owen Riley, you know he he's been on the show before. Um, he's an example of really leading best practice uh, across a whole range of uh, the business of a state agency in terms of technology adoption, and um, you know, so that that doesn't surprise me at all. That's exactly the type of innovative firm that we would expect to be pushing the boundaries and improving yes, things absolutely. all the time, but but staging is so much more than a nice to have you know so let's just take the example that was shown on rte find me a home you know we know that in dublin uh, property prices tend on average to sell for you know maybe 5 to 8% above market value but i you know the case that you dealt with on that particular property it was a docklands apartment we know that the the performance was better than average can you take us through the figures
2: yeah so originally um it was essentially by the end of the property, Owen took me on. we sold it for eleven percent higher than the original sales price, and also within four weeks, which is a rapid sale you know it's you know obviously yeah, Owen Owen is incredible, and like that that's all down to the hill himself and his agency um obviously, my work highlighted the property, and you know the sales is down to himself, but at the same time, you know it just shows. You know, one example of, you know, just it was a rental before. So it was there was a lot of wear and tear. You know, a lot of people are experiencing that. They've come back from abroad or they're living in London, they're renting out their homes. And then, you know, you're trying to either sell it or trying to move back in and it's really worn. So there was a lot of you know, trying to maximize that sale to, you know, create big the biggest space possible, but also with a very limited budget to do it up, you know, and that's the part of staging is that you're trying to redesign it in a very short way on a very limited budget because it's not an interior design project. It's not a fit out. So it's a very creative process where you have to, you know, look at um look for the unique selling points. And in that um space I found the view was very important. You know, looking out it wasn't necessarily um the view facing um the canal but it was still like a lovely view and quite bright so I focused on that and then the rooms that were small I painted them dark you know to enhance that space and make it more cozy so simple things like that is part of staging it's looking at the USP the location the budget and then it, like any project you know it's the priorities because you know you can't do everything and I think you just have to kind of make the most and also for agents on you know listening and the, like developers and the public I think clearing and cleaning out is just such an easy and fast way to you know to make money and to like make any space look better and taking great photographs um at probably different times of day you know and, and with light and then maybe with dusk it's nice sometimes some places look better in the evening it just depends on the location but you know very simple things that are are not so costly can be a huge you know window clean um and then just carpet clean and you know just some fresh bedding On a basic level, I think these are really important tips, which people kind of assume, oh no, I have to put so much money in this and, you know, add so many things in. I actually disagree. I think nearly, if anything, I clear out a lot at the beginning and just focus on less is more. And I think that's a really, you know, good information for people to know that it doesn't have to be so costly. It's just more of a time factor.
0: Yeah. And look, I, I think that that's important at the best of times, you know, I have, um, you know, I have been critical sometimes of the estate agency photographs that appear on after my home, you know, and and you might have things like a a bed unmade or a pile of clothes at the end of the bed or, you know, like simple things like uh, bathroom shots with the toilet seat up and, you know, just simple things that are very off putting to somebody who's only looking as a first step at the property's um, photographs online. So, you know, there's lots of I, I think simple and, as you say, cost-effective things. But, you know, this information is important all the time because part of a state agency is is marketing the property. But I think this is going to be so much more important for second-hand properties in, in Dublin and nationwide as we come out of the COVID-19 restrictions because there are properties that will have languished on the market for a couple of months. You know, there will be sellers who are quite discouraged. Um, You know, so there's definitely going to need to be a re-evaluation of property listings that went up maybe just before Christmas or just after Christmas to really get them ready to reintroduce them to the market. So can you maybe give just a few tips that don't require a lot of work that sellers or perhaps estate agents of secondhand
2: homes could do? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the best way to start is you wouldn't, thinking about it um, as what I do, is you wouldn't go to a job interview not well presented. So why would you put this property off not well presented, you know, on a very basic level? And I think, you know, um. so I look at the property the same, you know, from a styling point of view, I would I think a very good um idea is to either get a floor plan or take photographs of each space and plan, you know, take those home or to back to the office and plan each space, you know, and go through each room and say, OK, what can we do here? You know, just kind of move around the furniture, think of ideas. Um, I would probably and then decide what's going to make a list of what's going to stay and what may need to be added. Then obviously book a cleaning team and a window cleaning team. You know those things, are, you know, obviously, you might have um access to that via your company. They're very, very simple things, and then from there, I would say fresh bedding is key. Having the bathrooms, you know, just nice little um plants. You know, I think everyone is very much into sustainability, so anything with nature, I would definitely add in. It just gives a hint, you know, of a more global, imp- global um causes and then you know adding in a candle or two and some some very brief accessories. And then I think if you've got a bigger budget, you know, thinking of you know electricals, could you change the lights? Can you get you know the carpets cleaned? Can you get painting done? Could you get a respray? Like you can do kitchenrespray.com and you can just like get the whole kitchen done up and things like that or adding in new curtains or blinds. But as I said, they're more of a bigger budget. And then I suppose last but not least, when you know you've decided what's important, what's not, um and then all of those things depending on your budget a photography is key you know it's absolutely fundamental and even if it's a very quick photo shoot and it's a quick clean put all the things in a drawer you know it doesn't have to be if you don't have the time or the money and it's just literally in and out with the photographer just put the things in a drawer or get a you know get a basin or a bucket and put them in for the photographs and put them back out and you know put over kind of a throw over the bed if you don't have a chance and two pillows you know just kind of do impromptu just think you know think quickly um of simple things like that and adding in candles but the photography is key and we all have access to phones you know it's amazing what you can do if you just practice wide angles and just you know just play around with it and as I said also at different times of day depending on the property and the natural light coming in but these are very very simple things and then I think planning though is very much um, part of that because you're going to save a lot of time and money going back and forth of what should stay what should go but on a very basic level buying a few throws some cushions a candle one or two plants and then getting a quick clean is just so you know so impressive of what you know the result of that
0: yeah i presume this is something that you know whatever about for a home seller you know they will do this kind of to to their own style perhaps but mindful that it'll be for buyers but say for an estate agency at, at you know are, are we living in a time where state agencies really should have you know a. Uh, They should really have content themselves that they can move from home to home, you know, things that really lift. So whether it's a lamp or whether it's a throw or pillows, you know, at at this stage, are we at the point where actually these are part of the tools of the trade for estate agents?
2: I think, you know, that would be a great suggestion. I just know because I have a few warehouses of furniture, there's a lot of wear and tear and breaking you know, and that, and right. it's, it's easier than it seems. However, absolutely, you know, if you have a spare room in the office that you can have a few lamps or throws in, and you know that you don't have access to a staging company or it's you know there's just the budget's not there, then absolutely, you know, why not invest in a few plants, a few throws, and things? I don't think I think that's on the very basic level. Obviously, the staging that I did for RT and stuff would be you know electricals, rewiring, you know, at such a higher level and blinds and things like that. But on a very basic level, why not? You know, if if you have have room to host them and, you know, you can you know you have access to a van or you know a jeep or something to bring them in and out then absolutely you know it's just the simple touches and people appreciate that you know it doesn't have to be perfect and i think for rentals and you know smaller kind of um more lower end um properties why not you know that way it really doesn't matter however the job of staging specialists myself or agents is to create a lifestyle so if i'm designing a penthouse you know for nearly a million you don't, you know you want to see a wow factor you want to see new blinds you want to see a you know like i i need to create this lifestyle that's going to make you want to like take that mortgage out or put your money your deposit down so i have to create a complete scenario and a theme, which i usually do you know i create this kind of um I, i've done um like a great gatsby art deco theme. i've done a journo and e not like um a day and night theme. so every you know for the lar- for the higher end i think you need more than that but at the same yeah, time yeah
0: I, I think that, that's a great point though, that you are helping people to visualise the dream of, of the life that they're aspiring to and uh, Natasha before we let you go I, I know that you're offering free online staging and, and styling social media series starting next month um, so uh, you're going to actually be showcasing virtual styling and you might just explain how that's going to work
2: Yeah I was going to obviously with my business has to um adjust to the circumstances so I want to offer online consulting and Zoom videos and you know for people all around Ireland um, so I can help them, you know, even smaller, large scale um, while, you know, the restrictions are hosted. So I decided to to, um, collate all my previous projects, um, starting with um, the one, the project with Owen in Hanover um, Quarter for RT Farm Your Home. And essentially I've I've given some little um, kind of behind the scenes tips of the rooms and the, you know, just things like the balcony, how to clean it, what I actually did, which resulted in the sale. So I'm going to use case studies of projects that are, that have been sold, obviously that have sold successfully. And I think it's much better than, you know, just giving you lists of things to do. I think you can see the proof is in the pudding and these have actually sold faster and for much higher prices. So that will launch on, yeah, June 1st. Um, Yeah, yeah, I, I look
0: forward No, we look forward to that. And that's definitely something that I will share across our um, iProperty Radio and Property District brands, because I think this is really important for estate agents. And I think that over the coming months, as we reintroduce uh, secondhand properties to the market, I think that these little touches are going to be the difference between selling a property and not selling a property. So um, massively important. And Thanks. my thanks again to Natasha Rocket Divine for joining us um, from the Interiors Nerd studio and I will of course share links to the free online staging and styling social media series that kicks off on the 1st of June. We need to take another quick break and we'll be back shortly. Stay tuned.
3: 93.9 Dublin South FM
0: And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself Carol Tallon. We are of course recording from home as the radio station operates remotely in full compliance with government guidelines so again a quick reminder for um just apologies for any sound quality issues that we might have while we're while we're recording remotely um and thank you for your forbearance with that and um, so i'm delighted to be joined now over the phone by gary connolly president and founder of host in ireland um so gary thank you so much for joining us today
3: thank you so much for inviting me onto your show thank you
0: um Well, obviously, you're a regular guest, so um, most people will be familiar with Host in Ireland. But for those who aren't, you might just give a quick overview of what the organization does.
3: Yeah, Effectively Host in Ireland is is a co-opetition. We've brought together um, the largest hosting companies or data hosting companies in Ireland and the the associated services companies that design, build, operate data centers uh, in Ireland. And uh, we do two things. We, We promote Ireland, bring data, and um, because when you have a demand for data you need the centers um and we also then um, um nurture a whole um ecosystem of people who want to export those services and skills around europe um and i know you you've many of those on your show regularly the the mechanical electrical design companies the main contractor companies uh, and indeed the supply chain so that's it's a very irish uh, thing but we'll uh, concentrate on uh, bringing data here and exporting skills which obviously is a a, and digital and data is is without question the the asset that's growing the fastest now and indeed pre-pandemic actually.
0: Yeah absolutely and actually Gary I don't want one of the words you use there to go um, missed by by our audience there you refer to this as a as a co-optition? So a a, a a co-op of competitors, is that correct?
3: A co-op of competitors who um, we've worked on hard over the years. Drop your own ego. Drop your own short term balance sheet, drop your own uh, desires for you to always be right um, and come together. Find find the ground collectively with us and a little bit like Ireland and rugby, right? So Munster, Ulster, Connacht and Leinster beat the bejesus out of each other on a weekend. And then they pull on the green jersey, and there's only one way and one route to to score the try, and that's together. So it's harnessing that sort of collectivity, um in a cooperation way. And um, we're five years old now, and we started with four partners in 2015. Uh, we've now 30, and um, so whatever we're doing, we're we're, we're doing it okay. And uh, we we found the Irish companies and um, wonderful. Even the American companies who have headquarters here, once you set out with a desire to achieve a collective goal, it's quite extraordinary. Um, and particularly, and, and this is a small thing, uh, but a very relevant thing is particularly when you give back checks to people when they're not really compliant. And um, That's a very strong thing. And we've done that a number of times. We've asked partners that maybe this isn't the platform for them we we have we've, we've uh, asked them to leave effectively
0: yeah and i can understand how that would happen and unfortunately in ireland you know one of the downsides about doing business in ireland that it's such a small um certainly it's such a small industry particularly on the design and build side so this means that you know there are pros and cons it means everybody knows each other but actually people are much more inclined to run into each other at a social event and have a drink rather than work together. You know, and it's kind of a funny dynamic that comes from being in, in quite a small insulated industry there. And, you know, that's the kind of mentality that we need to move beyond and for people not to see, competitors purely in a negative light but actually sharing this common goal and working towards it together and sharing the resources to achieve a common goal that that i suppose essentially it creates a bigger pie so everybody everybody's slice of the pie automatically gets bigger when the pie gets bigger
3: there's two very distinct issues there's two you know let, let's take somebody looking to invest into ireland what what it's like somebody going to buy a car And if they get different issues, if they're told different things about the car from different dealerships and they want to buy a Volvo and the four dealerships tell them different things, more than likely what they'll do is they'll buy a BMW because they're unsure, yeah. right? That's the first mm-hmm. thing. So you, you get a consistent message for the guy who's who wants to buy the product. The second thing that we need to, to be more mindful of is Ireland is wonderful. We love it. We've got great dynamics. We've demonstrated over the last 60 years that we're wonderful negotiators. We're great salespeople and all the rest. But Ireland is 5 million people and there's a commensurate level of work for five million people, no matter how well the economy is going, what we do mm. is we collaborate with the, the the large players to to create a platform that allows them to go international. That's the key thing. Yeah, is to demonstrate yeah. that we and, and right now, um, we would have Ireland. And the, the main contractors, the designers, the builders, the operators, all the different aspects of a, a data center are without question. I mean, it's not even even a question now. Go to Frankfurt, London, Amsterdam, the Nordics, and it's like being in downtown the, yeah. the The skills that were learned, let's say, even before data centers, Intel, Even before them, the pharmaceutical companies, they're all mission-critical facilities that you have to to know what the question is to deliver the right answer in the right time, in the right order, for the right price. And that's the wonderful thing about what we're doing is we go to Amsterdam uh, very recently, only in January, and everybody wants to come to the Irish party. Why? Because they don't get that sense of, oh, I met him from X and I met him from Y. They seem to speak the same language and they're not bitching about each other because ultimately yeah. irrespective there's a great sense of camaraderie when you're away so when you bring it back and you actually get it to operate you know that's not to say they don't beat each other up when the tenders come out but that's a different issue at least we have the tenders to have the that's
0: price. really good that's a great point gary yeah
3: so that's the key that's the essence of hosting ireland the other thing is i don't work in any of the companies. I don't have any association, no directorships, nothing in any of the companies, which also gives a different spirit to an initiative where sometimes you see associations or you see this type of thing. And the guy that's the chairman or the guy that's the president is actually the top dude in one of the companies. So guess what? Mm -hmm. Right from the off, there's a certain, oh my God. I'm going to tell you all that you know. So you got to get rid of you common sense. If you ever look at some of the LinkedIn stuff I do, I have a degree in common sense, and I try and apply that to business as well.
0: Yeah. And look, look—that that's the essence of it. And and um, it—you talked there about um the mission critical part of the goal, but uh, actually, it was interesting. Only maybe a month or maybe six weeks ago, I had a contractor, somebody working um on the contracting side in Ireland, said to me, "You know, how are data centres still open? How are they considered essential workers?" And I was stunned by this. So what that told me is that there still is an absolute lack of um understanding. About you know we're we're being told to work remotely, we're being told to automate our systems, we're pushing crop tech and construction tech, and we're moving uh, all of our essential services toward a, a cloud based solution. Yeah and yet there seemed to be this disconnect so why, why is this essential and I tried to explain that absolutely everything he was doing from his home office in the Midlands was being stored uh, essentially by a data centre but the, that disconnect and look you know that's not a criticism no. um, it's more that you know it's a little bit like us walking into a room and turning on the, the light switch you know flicking the light switch without actually understanding what goes on behind the wall and, and beyond so you know from that point of view you, in ter- data centre's been given a central worker status. That, that was inevitable, surely.
3: It, it was. Um, it, I, I think now people have a better appreciation for the fact that when you look, and I suppose the word itself is, is not the best. A data centre has two words that are merged together. And most people look at the center and they see a building and they see a, a, a one a building without any windows and they see a building without thousands of cars outside. So they immediately think that's like just a warehouse. Well, it is a warehouse, but it's a warehouse of data. And that's the second word yeah. in data center. And what is that data? Well, actually, what that data is, is Netflix, Zoom, M- Microsoft Teams, Microsoft Office. All the products and services that people use daily and Spotify, you know, maps, all the stuff, as you rightly say, people now more than ever have depended on these tools and services for their everyday life. That's the data. And the data is actually the key ingredient that needs to be kept up and running 24-7. Probably, as you say, the dependency is more than ever right now. Which is what, Mm. so it's more the data has the essential worker status because that must be up and running. Indeed, then the data sits on a server, which is just a box, which sits in a bigger box, which is the data center. So you know, far few people actually. You know, I I I used to use the analogy of you look at a cow in a field, and you don't see that that's one of Ireland's largest exports. You just see a cow in the field, you don't understand what's behind that is an agribusiness, what's behind that is a load of workers, you know. So, I think it's easy then just to throw in, and say, Well, the, what good could be in those data centers? When we talk about the centers, then we talk about digital factories, and maybe that's what people should be thinking of them more like because the Traditional factories, unfortunately now, due to social distancing and all of the all the regulations are closed in the main. The digital factories continue to function at up to thirty percent more demand, which means that there's thirty percent more exporting of services and products and, and and monetization, money transfer into the Irish economy by the people in Germany or Estonia or France or wherever they are buying the services that are on a digital factory in Ireland and crystallizing that. So these are all open, continue to open, and therefore the workers that work in them, obviously to to maintain them, needed to have that critical status.
0: Okay. And Gary, can I ask then, in terms of... Delivery of new data centres, um, you know, so we're looking at, say, the medical device sector or uh, healthcare sectors. And at the moment, they're being able to extend um, without going through the routes of, say, normal planning and things like that, given the times we're in. So does that apply to data centres or where are we in terms of, say, uh, new data centres in the course of delivery? Um, so that are still uh, at construction phase. What's happening to those?
3: Well, uh, we, we mentioned the ones that are fully finished. They're they're fully operating. So the yeah. second ones are obviously, as with all other forms of construction today, the 18th is the, the day where we, we get the start of the process for external workers and um, people working externally, as you know. So data centers are in compl- have to comply completely because ultimately it doesn't matter what the asset class is, we're still dealing with human beings. So um, it's, it's, it's to protect the human. Um, so therefore, all of the, the main contractors, the mechanical electrical people or the site works people return today. They're working in compliance with the rules and regulations of phase one. Um, but the interesting thing, and, and something that we should note, is projects that were to start and commence in 2021 as part of master plans. Many of those have been brought forward already due to the demand increase that I mentioned earlier, up to 30 to 35 percent. So you may.
0: So that's that's almost uh, counterintuitive, uh, and it, it goes against what's. What's happening, say, across the other sectors where most things have been pushed out, you're saying that if these were in the planning, that they're actually going to be yes, brought forward?
3: Yes, there's, there's a distinct desire to bring forward a number of the master plan projects that were, um, say, 24 months away are now going to be brought forward um, uh, up to 18 months. It's
0: just to deliver. Do we, do we have the capacity? <laughs> Do we have the capacity to do that in terms of not just kind of um, getting through uh, planning, although we know that there are changes there at the moment, but in terms of, say, uh, the supply chain, um, the workers on the ground, the skill set that's needed, because this is this is a very distinct sector of the construction industry. So there's a number of key players who who provide into this sector. But I presume it's not one that any contractor could just pick up and... And um, deliver well, on. So, do we have do we have the skill set? Do we have the supply chain ready to bring forward that level of? Concern?
3: Well, there's two there's two questions in there that you're asking. One is the physical capabilities and the and the, and the quality of the companies, right? And um, there's no question about it that the Irish companies have demonstrated not just with data centers, and this is important. Where wh- why are the Irish companies recognised throughout Europe, whether it's Frankfurt, London, Amsterdam, Paris, the Nordics, as the go-to guys to to deliver projects and data centers. Well actually it's it's not necessarily over the last twenty years or data centers have become this established asset class. It goes right back to Intel in the 80s, or before that, it goes back to the pharmaceutical companies, um, the Pfizer's, the Sandoses, and these guys. And therefore, it's ingrained in these companies to have uh, you know, a clean room and a data center are similar. A pharmaceutical um, uh, manufacturing plant is similar to a data center. It's about the disciplines. It's about doing the right things in the right order. This, so, so in terms of their caliber, the second thing to remember is, and, and I think um, on some of you your earlier shows, some other projects, and um, in other sectors, whether they be retail, whether they be um, hospitality or other sectors, are naturally going to, due to the demand, the supply and demand, potentially slow down, and some slow down considerably. So that leaves a capacity of people that we need to get back working. We need to get back with with skills and services. And if you're working in one sector, you can I'm not say easily. But the one thing that we have demonstrated, and the one thing I know, and I'm not a construction guy, I know about construction people, is they're terribly resilient. They work on solutions to problems many of us haven't even thought about. So therefore, my sense is, is that with an industry like this, that has an accelerated demand. Um, in line with the Ireland's ability to deliver renewable energy. That's the key thing as well, is that you will see other projects or other subcontracted projects or other skills and services being brought in from capacity that may be not recovering as quickly. Um, and obviously we don't have a timeline because... And That's the key thing here is that we must always, everything we do, and I think that's what we decided to do as a nation, put each individual human at the center of this. Of course, we could get going quicker on sites. Of course, we could build these things faster. But at what cost? What human cost? So obviously, the good thing about right now as I'm on this call with you is there's an industry here that we're good at. We've done it for 30 to 40 years, data. There is an accelerated demand on a number of projects. And now that's an industry that we can see a light at the end when other industries, and I've only mentioned two, retail and hospitality, is less certain. So maybe some, what I'm suggesting is some of the capacity in those slower industries can be transferred across. And it, and as I say, if there's anything I know about construction companies, and, and they're very resilient, they're very diverse, and they can change. That's my experience of of this industry. I'm a data dude, so I look at these guys and how they do things in the in construction, and it amazes me often, and um, how how resilient they are.
0: Yeah, and look, resilience is definitely the the key word um, that we've been that we've been using over the past nine, ten weeks um, of the shutdown. And I know this week is going to tell a lot as we go into this phased opening of, of construction sites. Yes. You know, So I, I think we're going to need all of the resilience. And I'm delighted to hear you describe yourself as a data dude, because then I can. So thank you very much, Gary Connolly, data dude, president and founder of Host in Ireland. And um, thank you for being thank with us sir. today, Gary. That's it from us. And thank you everyone for listening in to Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show where property matters. You can get in touch with the show by emailing Hello at iProperty Radio or on Twitter at iProperty Radio. Um, also, our thanks to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Talon of Hear Me Roar Media. We're back at the same time next week from myself, Carol Talon, and all the team here. Stay safe.